because we're scared that people are going to leave the church, uh, the tithe's going to dry up, uh, who would want to go to church with the crazy pastor? You know, all of those, we, we fear all of those things becoming true, so we retreat, we hide, we put on the mask, and boy, it's a really slippery slope at that point. Hi friends, it's Brittany Moses, and you're listening to the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. This podcast is a spinoff of my blog, BrittanyAMoses.com, where I talk about the intersection of faith and mental health and how that applies to our everyday lives. You're listening to episode 13. Welcome back, and thank you for tuning in to another episode with me. You know, I was just thinking how much I love this podcast has evolved just over the past year. In the beginning, it was me just kind of coming on and sharing some of my thoughts and information and research that I had on certain topics regarding mental health. And then I started inviting guests on, which I think is one of the best things that I did. Uh, You know, shared wisdom is just such a valuable thing. We all have different experiences and perspectives and expertise to offer. And I've just had the privilege of having such amazing guests up to this point and so many more who are coming, let me tell you. So stay tuned. I really love this idea of the Faith and Mental Health podcast. Yes, it's an integration of faith and mental health, but also we're integrating both lived experience and clinical expertise, right? From clinicians, psychiatrists, uh, psychologists, and whatnot, researchers. And so I love that we have all of these kind of dynamics being covered, and I hope that you guys love and appreciate it as much as I do. I think that today's episode is something really special because it's going to touch on an area that not only has been prevalent in recent news, but it comes from the other side of the mental health experience, the other side of how you get to the point of contemplating suicide as a pastor, right? I think that's something that we all ask. What, how did it get there? What were the final moments? And the truth is that some of these questions just aren't going to be answered on this side of eternity, right? And that's something that we have to find comfort in with God and with each other. And the other truth we need to consider is that everybody's reality is different, right? Everybody's experience is different. So this is one man's story, what his journey was on the other side of recovery. I am so glad to share this experience with you. I so appreciate this friend of mine, he is a, a good friend of mine. Today I have Steve Austin. If you haven't heard his story already, has really come to know God best as he's recovered from a suicidal attempt. You know, healing from the worst days of his life really caused him to wrestle through the pain of becoming more authentic with his journey. He's the author of Pastor to a psych ward, self-care for the wounded soul, and catching your breath. And these days, Steve serves as a life coach and spiritual companion as he writes at catchingyourbreath.com. And we're really good online friends as well. He's someone that's also kind of in the world of talking about and advocating the intersection of faith and mental health. So I appreciate both his experience and his advocacy. 
So we're just going to dive right into this episode. And you know, not only is this a great episode for pastoral leadership and talking about the real truths of preventing pastoral burnout and all of the weight that is carried in being a pastor, just kind of trying to fill this role of being everything to everyone while casting vision and developing strategy. I mean, man, I've seen it, right? And we're going to talk all about that. But we're also going to be talking to those who are in the church, who are in supportive leadership roles, how we can create a culture that supports and even applauds getting help, rest, recovery, taking breaks, sometimes as a brave and healthy and responsible thing to do, not as a lack of faith or character, right? So I'm not going to take up any more time talking about it. I'm just going to let you guys listen. And look, you're going to want to listen to this entire episode. I know I say that all the time, but for real, for reals, we're going to cover so much in here that's going to be applicable for anyone and everyone, really. So here is my conversation with my friend, Steve Austin. I am so excited today. I have my friend, Steve Austin, finally on the podcast. How are you doing, Steve? <laughs> hey, friend, I'm so good. This is just too exciting. <laughs> Absolutely. I feel like this is, uh, things are coming back full circle. We're having kind of a reunion here because we had a conversation, I think last year yeah. on the podcast about faith and mental health when you were hosting your podcast. And so I'm so glad to have you on mine. We've had a lot of discussions just via Twitter through our own friendship about what's been going on in the mental health world and more specifically in the church. I appreciate personally your friendship there as well. So I'm looking forward to us opening our conversation to the Faith and Mental Wellness podcast. Well, me too. I'm I'm pumped. Let's do it. (laughs) So I know about you. I think you're pretty awesome. Thanks. I'm a little biased. Back at you. But I think you're awesome. And (laughs) anyone who meets you would think you're awesome. But for those who are just listening and don't know who Steve Austin is, you know, for the first time, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and some of the work that you do now? And then I would love to dive into your story because you just have, you've been on such a journey that I think is so hopeful and empowering and so dynamic. So um, yeah, let's start with more about you. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah. Again, thank you so much first, just for having me on. I'm I'm incredibly grateful for what you do. And like you said, it's so exciting and comforting to get to just have a conversation with a friend who really gets it. So yeah. yeah. Uh, so about me, I have been married to Lindsay for 12 years. We have two kids. Aww. Ben is eight and Kara is five going on 35. <laughs> of course. Ooh, that girl. Uh, we live in Birmingham, Alabama. I know I have no Southern accent, so it's really hard to detect. But <laughs> Yeah, I would have never you're really from Birmingham. No right, Southern yeah, accent. Sure. Can't, right. can't yeah. hear it at all. <laughs> so, yeah, born and raised uh, here in the heart of Dixie and the buckle of the Bible Belt. I, yeah, so I have a, a, a very real lived experience with mental illness. I was a pastor seven years ago when I nearly died by suicide. And mm-hmm. so these days, after lots of recovery, lots of therapy and gosh, marriage counseling and building a support system and learning, you know, what mental wellness looks like, I, yeah. uh, I'm really passionate about connecting with other people who are on a similar journey and they're looking for 
an integrated approach to spirituality and their emotional health, their mental health, all of that. I'm not a mental health professional, uh, and I'm not even a pastor anymore, but I love sharing my story. I love encouraging other people to get honest about their own story and ask for help. So really glad to be here. You know what? And I've noticed a lot of us who are really passionate about this work at the intersection of faith and mental health, of the church and mental health, a lot of it has birthed from our experiences. And, you know, and what we experienced, seeing those dynamics and seeing like, okay, there's there's something wrong here and there's kind of a gap in addressing it. And that's what launched us into this. And that especially, you know, appears to be the case when it comes to your story. And so I would love if you could share with us about that journey, being a pastor and facing mental illness and recovery and almost to the point of suicide, you know, just especially even as it relates to recent events, Mm. uh, there's, it's created a lot of conversation around it. Some, you know, prompting really healthy conversations about addressing it, some not so much. And so coming from someone who's been there, which is, I think, a perspective that we don't really get, which is why I value uh, you sharing your story so much here. Um, why don't you tell us, yeah, a little bit about Pulpit to Psych Ward, because that, that was your book, what that process was like. Before um, Ian Morgan Cron became sort of the Enneagram guy, he wrote this book, Chasing Francis, which I just love. And one mm-hmm. of the lines in there says, all ministry begins at the ragged edges of our own pain. Mm. And and that's absolutely it for me. Um, so I was serving in the church world for about 10 years. I was a pastor, a, a youth pastor and a worship leader. I had grown up in church all my life. Um, feel like I, I was born in the baptismal, just been there forever and sang my first solo at the age of four and you know, vacation Bible school and in church every time the doors were open and youth leader and uh, two years of ministry school and all these short-term mission trips. And just, I was in the church. You were I was doing, doing the thing. Doing yes. it all. And uh was raised in the kind of church where uh, very charismatic Pentecostal, you know, take a magic Jesus pill and Jesus is going to, is the answer for everything. And that sounds really good until it doesn't work and that's difficult and it can make some people uncomfortable but i think that miracles are called miracles for a reason because we don't see them every day we don't see jesus snapping those cosmic fingers and healing every little old lady of cancer and um, taking away that depression and anxiety miraculously it just doesn't always or normally or typically happen that way but that's the way I was raised. And so when I was um, abused as a preschooler, I, I was uh, molested by the next door neighbor's son. So I was three or four and he was 17. Um, mm. Happened once. And my parents were very, very young and um, unfortunately didn't know any better and just thought, here's this tiny little boy who's never going to remember this. And so they threatened that kid, um, 
within an inch of his life and told him to never step foot on our property again. And, um, and that was it. There was no therapy. There was no police involvement. Um, nothing because they just wow. thought this, this little bitty boy is not ever going to remember this. Mm. Now let's be real clear. That is the wrong approach. Um, my parents and I have worked through stuff and, and I love them and, and we're moving on. But if you're a parent listening to this today and something like that happens in your circle, go to the police, get help, get therapy for your child, because I promise you they will remember. Yeah, and absolutely. yeah, so that's what trauma stores in trauma stores in the body. Oh, yeah. You know, it's going to come out some kind of way if it's unaddressed. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. So so that was my first experience with trauma. Um, and, and the thing is, my parents were right for about 15 years. I was a senior in high school before I remembered. We were mm. on a um, field trip. I was part of this youth leadership forum, and um, several students from the district would get together once a month and go to different businesses and government agencies and sort of learn about leadership in the real world. And so we were at the Department of Human Resources, which might be Child Protective Services or something else in another state. But here in Alabama, Department of Human Resources. And the director Mm -hmm. came into this conference room where we're all sitting. And she brought these dolls out that they would use when a child had been abused. And so if the child didn't have the words to explain what happened, they could point at the body part or, or whatever had happened and try to explain it with the doll. And I'm sitting there, this straight A kid, president of all the clubs, and seemed like the world was on top of him, got it all together, going places, um, most likely to succeed, best personality. I was that kid. And all of a sudden, I'm having these flashes of memory, and my palms start to sweat, and my heart is racing, and I've got this knot in my mm. stomach, and I think, oh my gosh, I'm having, a, I'm going to be that kid. I'm, I'm going to have a heart attack at 17 years old. I've got to get out of this room. I don't know what's happening, but these people can't see me freaking out like this because I'm the kid who's always got it together. Yeah, you get a straight panic attack. Right. So wow. I didn't yeah. know what that was. I had no idea right. what a flashback was. I get out into the hallway and I just collapse into the floor and I'm freaking out. Oh my goodness. And one of the teachers follows me out to try to see what's going on. And I'm trying to explain that I feel like I'm having a nightmare and I'm wide awake and I'm seeing things and hearing things, not like psychosis, but I'm, I'm, I'm vision. This, there's this stuff happening and I'm seeing stuff happening in my head. And what is this? And she says, it sounds like you're having a panic attack. And uh, I, I think as any good Southern teacher would have done 20 years ago, she said, why don't you go to the bathroom and splash some water on your face and come back? There you go. <laughs> right? You know, that'll fix it. Yeah, that'll fix it. So, yeah, so I did. And um, sort of got it together best I could in the next few minutes. And yeah. um, eventually made it home that afternoon. And I was telling my mom what happened. And my mom and I had always been just the best of friends. And I could tell mom anything. And it's the first time that I clearly remember her not making eye contact with me. And I thought, what, what's going on here? And she started crying. She was very upset because she realized, oh, my gosh, all those years ago we were wrong. And this kid does remember. And so she told me the story. 
And all that story lined up with all those sort of flashes of memory that I'm having in that, you know, conference room earlier that day. I'm going, oh, oh, yeah, this is what I'm seeing. These are the these are the sort of visions I'm having. This this is what was going on. And unfortunately, again, we prayed and asked Jesus to wipe away these memories and heal my heart and mind. And we moved on and we didn't talk about it again for 10 years. So again, parents, your kid comes to you with something like this, something so heavy, something so traumatic, and you don't know what to do. Sure, pray for them, hold them, comfort them, love them, and get them help. Absolutely. Get them help. So we didn't talk about it for another 10 years. Um, uh, Gosh, really more like 12 years. And um, by this point, I'm I am a pastor. I'm serving as a youth pastor and a worship leader. I'm 29, and I had been having more flashbacks and panic attacks, and the anxiety was through the roof, and depression was really difficult, and I was scared to death for anybody to know. I uh, around the age of 25 had my first panic attack at work. I was working as a dispatcher at a 911 call center. And um, had my first panic attack there. And that's the first time at 25 that somebody said, you need to go see a doctor. You're going to need help. You're probably going to need medicine. Mm -hmm. And so about 25 is when I started that journey of of figuring out what might be the right medication to help uh, me function a little more normal, for lack of a better word. And um so then 25 to 29, again, that medicine helped some, um, but it, but it didn't, it wasn't enough. I, I still, no one had said you should go talk to a therapist. You should get some help. You should speak with a professional. And so 29, I'm, I'm serving in the church and I uh, got a two week contract job out of town. So I was a bivocational youth pastor and I got a contract job out of town for two weeks, a couple hours from home. And this is the worst, the, just the height of the anxiety and the depression. I'm living in a hotel room for two weeks. Every day I'm off work at, let's say, five o'clock. And so from five o'clock until bedtime at 10 or 11, I'm by myself in this hotel room away from home in that shame spiral that Brene Brown talks about. That if mm-hmm. I was just, if I was just man enough, if I was just Christian enough, if I was just faithful enough, strong enough, you know, all those things, then I wouldn't be dealing with this depression, this anxiety, these flashbacks. And, um, you know, as well as I do, when you finally reach that point that you feel like you're a burden, um, that's that's a really dark, scary, dangerous place. Um, our buddy Robert Vore talks about how depression and loneliness are this really deadly cocktail. Yeah. And so, you know, I had the depression, the anxiety, the flashbacks, and here I am two hours from home by myself with all these thoughts swirling. And um, I just thought the best thing I could do would be to just disappear forever and let this young, beautiful 27-year-old wife start over and find Mm. a a quote-unquote normal husband and let Mm. this little boy who was going to be a year old the next day not remember me and have a new daddy that could, you know, give him all the love and attention and strength that he needed. And so, yeah, tried to to die by suicide and um, woke up about 24 hours later 
in an ICU room at the hospital and spent three days in ICU and a week on the psych ward. And it was the first time that I'd ever been given permission to be weak, to ask for help, to ask for something other than Jesus to help me. Cause I had a medical condition, you know? Yeah. Um, but it, it, everything in my world was wrapped up in Jesus and Jesus was going to fix it all. And that just didn't work in my case. So here we right. are, you know, last yeah. seven years have been all about recovery and getting honest and asking for help and inviting other people into that conversation. And that's amazing. I think that, man, there are, oh, first, I, I think that your story will be relatable to so many people who are in, you know, leadership. Um, maybe they might not feel as far as, you know, dying by suicide. Maybe they do. But even just that fear of not talking about it yeah. and needing to keep it together and the expectations there. But also a lot through your story that you mentioned is just this idea that goes around that, you know, and it's not even said, it's just kind of a cultural undertone when it comes to church that Jesus and medical help are mutually exclusive. Yes. And, you know, a lot of people ask how much is spiritual and how much is, you know, health or me medical. And it's like, well, it's both. Why does it have to be either or? Yeah. You know, and like you were saying, you know, when you say I needed, when you were saying, you know, not just Jesus, it's not discrediting, no. right? That Jesus is there and he's helpful and he can heal. But the fact that it's more dynamic than that, and you needed more dynamic healing yeah. in your life, that those of us who are believers believe that God works through all of it. He's Absolutely. in all of it, right? He's in the the help through the therapy sessions and endowing that person to help you work through those issues, yep. you know, um, and the resources, right? So thank you so much for sharing all of that and for sharing your story with others that I think is going to be so freeing. Mm -hmm. So in saying that, you know, I wanted to talk about some of the unique pressures of being a pastor, um, or someone who is in leadership, right? Because mm -hmm. I, what you're talking about, I've seen. I, you know, I helped in church plants and uh, just being very integrated and serving in my home church, different ones from California to where I moved to Texas in the Bible Belt, <laughs> and seeing pastors really trying to take on this role of being everything to everyone. Yeah. And something that you tweeted, because we had a, we just the past couple weeks had a Twitter chat about suicide in church um, with Christianity Today magazine. Yeah. And something that you said that I really loved was, you know, we have to give pastors like permission and to, to not have to be the expert on everything. Yes. Right. And I think that they do take on this role, right? Where mm -hmm. they feel the need to be the the physician, the therapist, the expert of all things. Yep. That's that's not only too much for one person, but that's not even biblical. One yeah. is the hand, one is the foot, one is the toe, yeah. you know, you name it. So, you know, just talking more about those unique pressures and how we as a church can create a culture that is more uh, balanced mm. in, in that perspective and giving the grace for those in pastoral leadership. Yeah. So 
when I think about my story, uh, I mentioned I served the church for 10 years, and every Sunday I'd show up while suffering in silence with mental illness. I would put my prescription bottle in my lunchbox. I would take my lunchbox into the staff bathroom at the church, close the door, go in the stall, close the stall, and then take my medicine in the stall in the bathroom because I was scared to death for anybody to know that this staff person needed medication for mental illness. Mm -hmm. So, And then you talk about all the the expectations that we have on pastors on top of that. We're expected to plan, to preach perfect services every Sunday. Then in addition to Sunday worship, we're supposed to counsel churchgoers and answer phone calls at all hours of the night and visit the hospital and solve church disputes and travel for weddings and travel for funerals and be in the church building every time that the doors are open and never complain. Literally, yeah, literally, yeah. yeah oh, you guys, oh, and and you have everything. a family, <laughs> yeah, and oh, you're supposed comes, to sleep at some point, <laughs> yeah, somewhere yeah, if you can, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't mean that to sound negative, but I think that it's it's very honest, and I think it's very telling, yeah. and so I, I think that the church world, especially the the profession of a pastor, it's one of those caring professions that actually prevents caregivers from taking care of themselves. And we see this not just with pastors, but with first responders, with social workers, with all, all teachers, all sorts Doctors. of helping. Yeah, all sorts yeah. of helping professions. Um, but we're talking about pastors today. And so mm-hmm. I think that the first thing a pastor needs, and this sounds silly to even have to say it, but I think the first thing a pastor needs is Sabbath. They, oh, yeah. they yeah. need clear boundaries around time off, days off, regularly scheduled vacations. Hey, Monday's my day off and I'm not answering my phone or email. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think that that's that can feel really difficult for small churches um, with a little budget or maybe the pastor's the only staff person or maybe it's the pastor and the part time secretary. That sounds really difficult. But if you want to prevent pastor burnout, not to mention a mental health breakdown, then then we have to give our leaders permission to be human. And we we do this great talk as Christians about wanting authenticity. Give me the real. But the moment a pastor shows signs of weakness, the moment that a pastor reveals their humanity, we recoil. We mm-hmm. think that our, our shepherds should have all the answers. We expect our pastors to be little, small, lowercase gods. And that's unhealthy. It's unfair. It's unrealistic. I wouldn't be at the hospital with someone who'd had a heart attack and expect the janitor to come in and perform open heart surgery. You know, I, yeah. I and so why would I want my pastor to be my psychiatrist? I, we, we can't expect them to have all the answers for everything. So I think we do have to take back some of those expectations. We've got to give them, again, permission to be human, permission to rest. Look at Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus withdraws from the crowd and gets away to a quiet place and mm-hmm. rests. 
He took naps. Yeah, dude crawled down in the bottom of a boat and took a nap. nap. Just take a nap. Yeah, he got really hot in the noonday (laughs) sun and stopped at a well for a drink of water. Like, this guy was human. And -hmm. I think we strip away that part. We want Jesus to just be God. And certainly he is, but he is also human. And we forget that 100% human. Yeah, Yeah. we forget that side. Right, and it's like, if Jesus needed rest... If Jesus needed a nap, <laughs> yeah. if Jesus needed time to step away, who was 100 fully God, fully man, surely us who are, you know, not fully God need rest, need a break. And we, and for pastors as well, those in spiritual leadership. Yeah. And I'm also thinking about, you know, just what you're saying, allow them to have rest for those of us who might be closer to our pastor or those who might be assisting just really taking the time to check in with them and also hold them accountable to their boundaries in some way. If you have that type of supportive relationship, um, yeah. you know, just, Hey, are you, do you need to take a break? Is there anything that I can do? You know, if you're able to take Absolutely. that on, it's just delegation, delegation, delegation. And that's hard when you're a visionary because you feel like you have this vision of how things should go and whatnot, you know, I do. so yeah, I get it. it it's your baby and um, you're shepherding it and shepherding people. And mm-hmm. so sometimes it feels like you're the only one that can do what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But it's like letting go of the reins at some point and trusting some of those around you to carry that load with you. Yeah. Yeah, because I, and and you're right. There's this real danger that if if I don't do it, it won't get done, or if I don't do it, it won't get done right. But that's right. a whole lot of pressure. That's also a whole lot of ego. That's also yeah. a whole lot of fear. Um, and so yeah, I think. Well, what if you what if you burn out and you quit? What if you burn out and your performance drops and you get fired? What if worse than that, you have a breakdown and don't say, oh, that doesn't happen because we've seen it happen just recently. So yeah, pastors burn out. Yeah, pastors have breakdowns. Um, so yeah, if you're in that supporting role, oh my gosh, encourage them. I mean, I hate to put something else on their list of things to do, but encourage them to exercise, like actual physical exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, send them away for a long weekend with their family. Bring in a guest speaker once a month, at least right. once a quarter, you know. Um, I think you should put a sabbatical and monthly therapy in the budget and in the pastor's contract. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, ask. I think a, another great thing is give your pastor permission to talk about mental health by asking them to talk about mental health. So maybe you host. Right. Uh, people say, "Oh, I don't, I don't know that I'm ready to talk about mental health in the church." Okay, well, if you don't want to say mental health or mental illness, I, I, first that's really silly. But I'm going to give you an out and say, then host a self care Sunday. Talk about self-care. That doesn't feel quite as scary for some people as mental health. Right. You know? But start Spiritual the care. Conver- yeah. Start the conversation um, and open it up to the congregation. I think another great thing to do to emphasize the importance of our mental health is to bring a counselor on staff at the church, even if it's an unpaid position. So maybe you bring in an actual mental health professional, a counselor, a therapist. You don't have to pay them anything, but you house them in your building for free. So you give them free office space. 
phone access, internet access. And in return, they give free therapy to the church staff once a month. Some of them even offer free or reduced therapy to church members with limited income. So it's a win-win for everybody. But we've got to start normalizing this conversation around mental health in faith circles. We've got to make mental health conversations just as common as talking about the Bible or breast cancer. Right. As long as there are people in the church, there are going to be mental health challenges in the church, you know, because people and mental health go right together. Yeah. So I love those. I love those very practical tips that you've given. So thank you for that. Oh, good. Well, thank you. Yeah. And, you know, going back to your story, something that I wanted to dissect a little bit more Mm -hmm. is the fear that you were talking about how, you know, you felt like you had to go into the bathroom stall and take your medication and that you could not talk about it. And I know that maybe this is a little bit abstract of a question, but I wanted to talk more about what, what was that fear? You know, what were the dynamics possibly that were at play that created this fear where you felt like you couldn't talk about it, you couldn't see someone, or you even had to hide your health issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I grew up in this fear-based theology, and basically you could be a Christian or you could be crazy, but you couldn't be both. And so mental illness was immediately connected to demon possession to evil spirits living inside you um, they want to quote the this the portion of scripture about the demoniac right. and and that's just so ignorant um, but but it's there's a large chunk of the large Christian circle uh, sort of subculture that does think that way that there's a spirit behind every bush and um, so I was scared to death that if if people thought I was dealing with anxiety, you know, then it would be, we'll just have more faith. If people realized I was fighting depression, we'll just choose joy. It's, it's all those Christian platitudes that we say, and we don't even know what we're talking about. We don't even understand what we're saying, but we've just heard it for so long. Just pray harder. Right. You know, well, well, what if, what if you do share an encouraging scripture with me? What if you do pray for me and also you drive me to therapy? Also, you drive me to the hospital. Also, you help me find, you know, mental health professionals in the area that can help with this. And you encourage my faith while I'm getting the help I need. You wouldn't tell somebody to not get chemo if they had cancer. I would never tell my dad to stop taking his high cholesterol medication. Here's a guy who's a marathon runner, uh, just retired as a career fireman, in better shape at 60 than I am now, and he has to take medication for high cholesterol. I'd never tell him to stop taking those medications. I would never relate it to his faith. Oh, if you just had more faith, you wouldn't right. have like, you know. But we somehow, we do it with mental health. It's been so misunderstood, so stigmatized, and that's the world I lived in. So, yeah, I was scared to death for anybody to know that I wasn't perfect. And I think I'm going to veer away from from specifically mental health just for a second because I think Mm -hmm. this is important. I think a lot of it today is fed by social media. Mm -hmm. I think we have this sin of comparison that is 
eating us alive. So if all I post, if I'm your pastor or, or just your friend, your neighbor, and all I post are the shiny pretty pictures on Instagram, let's say, just the pictures of the new baby, the new house, the new car, the new girlfriend, the new dog, all the pretty new, exciting, beautiful things, then if I'm unhealthy and and that's what I see from you, I think, oh, well, I better not tell them that I cried myself to sleep last night. I better not tell them that I had those thoughts about, man, maybe the world would be better if I just wasn't here because mm-hmm. their life looks so pristine, so perfect, so beautiful, so wonderful. So if I compare what I know about myself to what I don't know about you. Yeah. I can get into a really dangerous place very quickly. And that's exactly where I was. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. And social media, I think, totally adds another dynamic for pastors today. Oh, yeah. It's like an added dynamic because now it's not just your church watching you, but it's the rest of the world, too. Yeah, because we, gosh, you and I were talking about being Enneagram 3s before this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I don't just, I, I don't get to just be a pastor. I have to be a brand. Right. And sometimes we can even, yeah. And, and I think for, for people like us, okay, who, who talk about our lived experiences, there, there can be, and this may be hard to explain, but I'm going to try. So tell me if this makes sense. I think that yeah. we can build a brand around transparency with, yeah. uh, without ever actually being transparent. So, yeah. so I can talk about mental health. I can post some statistics because that makes me feel good. Here's here, reach out and call the suicide prevention lifeline and never actually talk about the really bad day I'm having mm-hmm. because we're scared that people are going to leave the church. Uh, the tithe's going to dry up. Uh, who would want to go to church with the crazy pastor? You know, all of those, we, we fear all of those things becoming true. So we retreat. We hide. We put on the mask. And boy, it's a really slippery slope at that point. It is. And I feel like there are conflicting messages, if I'm honest, like especially online where there is this message of, like you said, be transparent. Talk about it. We're human. You know, uh, pastors are human too. But at the same time, there's this dichotomy of another conversation or at least undertone where you have to continue to show up and perform and produce. And if you are not uh, producing at a certain level or quality or have a certain look, then, you know, you're not as, I don't want to say embraced, but you know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about? I, uh, I can't, it's hard to explain because it really is an undertone, mm-hmm. uh, but just not regarded as much in a way. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like we say be transparent, be vulnerable, but then when someone's too vulnerable or too transparent, it's like, oh, I don't yeah. know if he's qualified to be doing this. Yeah. The first you know? sign and- of weakness, we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We all right, let's get the pastor search committee together and start looking for a new guy because he's losing it. Right. Yeah. And that actually this is this wasn't in my questions. And it's going to be a little controversial. There was a recent message put out on social media, which I know you know about. That's like, it was very kind of like, okay, who's putting these pastors in these positions, you know, mm-hmm. having mental health issues. I did see that. And, yes. you know, and they're supposed to be, they're supposed to have a sound mind and blah, blah, blah. And 
for me, I don't, I don't think things are black and white, right? So I think that there was some truth to what was being said, but I also think that there was some misunderstanding and also the addressing of it was just ill-timed and ill, you know, shared, ill-toned. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're finding that balance, right? Um, where it's like, okay, yes, if you are a pastor, or someone in spiritual leadership, or even just like you said, the people serving positions, doctors, therapists, social workers, you know, and you are at a place where you're just like, not mentally all the way there. There's a lot going on. Your, your, your well is empty. Yeah. There is a time to step back. You probably are not truthfully in the best place to keep all cylinders going for your own health. Right. And for the health of everyone else. And like you said, taking that sabbatical. But at the same time, does that totally disqualify a person? Right. right? Because things happen in seasons. So kind of speaking more to that, um, like I hate using the word disqualified, but at what point is it like, okay, maybe this isn't the best position in life right now Mm -hmm. concerning where they are mentally or this year even? Or, hey, no, they just struggle, but they keep going. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Finding the balance in that. Yeah. Yeah. If you you suspected that your pastor was having a heart attack or they're exhibiting signs of a stroke, you're going to rush them to the hospital. Right. So I think that's very important to get help. If you say, wow, there's a crisis going on here and this person is not well whatever that means, then we need to get them professional help. But professional help doesn't automatically mean, and we're going to let them go. So right. uh, I, I think that's that's very unfair, very unwise. Um, so maybe you take it a month at a time. Maybe you take it three months at a time. Maybe you say, hey, friend, we're going to send you home for three months. Uh, we've... Um, gotten together with the church and we've raised, uh, we've created a fund. We've done a GoFundMe maybe. And, and we're going to send you home for three months and we want you to go to therapy. We want you to get help. We want you to rest. We're going to, um, we're going to take your church phone and the associate pastor's going to, uh, step up for the next three months or so, whatever mm-hmm. that is. Um, and, and at the end of that, we want you to come back and, and let's have a conversation about this. We want to know what you've been doing in therapy. We want to know what your doctor's saying. We want you back, but we want you back well. Um, I think in a lot of cases, that's that's probably okay. Uh, mm-hmm. After my attempt, I was let go. Um, now, the church was kind enough to pay for 12 sessions of therapy, um, oh, which, which they didn't have to do. Um, but do I think I, I should have just immediately been let go? No. Um, was it probably the right? Did I need to be in ministry at the time? No, I didn't. But my story is a very specific story. So I think it, right. it the real answer here is it depends. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't ever think the, the right blanket decision is just to fire somebody because they're not well at the time. I think that, that 
every story is different. Every situation is different. I think, yes, a, a person's mental, physical, emotional health is, is tip top number one. We've got to encourage our pastors to take care of themselves. We've, we should be urging people to go to therapy. Uh, as I mentioned, I think that therapy for pastoral staff should be a line item in the church budget every year. Um, I don't think that you can heal from what you don't accept and address. So I think it's very right. important to have these very honest conversations. But I think the motive is the key. The problem I had with that message that you're referencing from Facebook, um, yeah. the problem I had with it, yes, number one, it was the worst timing. How tacky. Um, but equal, this, the the second problem that I really had was that there was no compassion in that message whatsoever. It was very straightforward, clinical, you know, ba- basically how it read to me is, why are we letting these crazy people serve in our churches? And, and that's yeah. not, that's not the right approach. It's not the right motivation. Everything Jesus did when he approached, you know, people in really dire situations, he approached them from a place of love. How can I serve you? How can I help you? Not how can I get you out of here because you're bad for the brand. You're bad for business. That's the wrong approach. Yeah, I agree. And plus it creates this us versus them mentality, which I think is uh, very misunderstood when it comes to mental health. We like to divide things into people who are well and unwell, right? Very black and white. But the truth is that health is on a spectrum. So we all have it. We all have mental health. We can all, you know, slide along that line of when we're feeling more unhealthy versus when we're feeling healthier. Throughout our lifetime, we're we're gonna slide along that slope, right? None of us are going to be at optimal health all the time. And so to see it as this black and white thing, I think was also a really big uh, misunderstanding of what health is. You know, it's like the unwell person people versus the well people and only the well people should be in these positions. It's like, we're all on a spectrum. Obviously, some may have it more chronically or a diagnosis. And obviously, you want to be sensitive to that. And like you said, take those steps of accountability, but in a very graceful way and in a very accommodating way as well. Where it's like, you know, we're going to provide this for you and, you know, because we want you to be healthy. And I think that in order alongside that, we also need to keep creating conversations among Christians, those of us who are in the congregation and supportive to the pastor, that this is okay. Like for real, not just saying it because it sounds good, that authenticity and transparency is what we should all have, but actually see our pastors and our leaders you know, getting help or driving to the therapist's office as a brave and healthy thing to be doing. Yes. And, uh, and if, I don't know if I saw my pastor saying like, yep, I see a therapist, you know, once a week to make sure I'm healthy. I would not see that as, oh, what's up with him? Like I would personally see it as, man, that is great. I'm so glad to know that I have a pastor who is like taking care of himself and is making sure that he's, uh, you know, in a healthy place. And maybe I I need to be doing that too. It would be more of an encouragement for me. So I just want to say that as a person to any pastors who are out there that it, to me, it's more seen as a healthy, responsible and brave thing to do. Yeah. If I'm driving down the road and I pass my pastor running alongside the road, exercising, or I'm at the gym and I look over and there's my pastor on the treadmill, I'm going to feel really great about that. Look at this guy taking, yeah. or or her, I keep saying he, gosh, there are so many wonderful lady pastors that I am so grateful for. Give our women a place to speak in the church. 
full stop, amen, the end. But <laughs> but if I if I see my pastor taking care of their physical health, I'm going to feel really great about that. What a good example. I'm so glad they're staying healthy. Same yeah. thing with going to therapy. Totally. Yeah. So I just want to put that message out too, that, you know, like there are many of us that I think most of us, at least I would hope, or at least it's a growing conversation, would not see it as a, as a bad thing. Yeah. You know? Yep. Um. And that being said, in all of this, uh, what would you say are some signs that, because you've already, you've been in this place, you know, mm. um, what would you say are some signs that it might be time to step away, maybe take that sabbatical and get help? Because it's so hard to see when it's you. I, I mean, I'm even speaking personally. I could, it's really easy for me to look at my friends or those around me and kind of gauge where they are. But when it comes to myself, ourselves, we're going, 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 producing, 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 thinking ahead, thinking forward. And, you know, we're not very in tune with maybe how far down the well we are until yeah. we hit that rock bottom, you know? Yeah. Um, so what would you say have been or are some signs that, hey, it's probably time to like take a step back, maybe take that sabbatical, uh, take some time off and and get that help if you're in a pastoral or even just a leadership position. Yeah. Yeah. I think that if you if you notice any of the signs of burnout, um, I, I think a lot of times it starts there. Maybe you don't have a mental health diagnosis. Maybe you've never had a lived experience with mental illness, but you're feeling more resentful than hopeful about your current gig. Or maybe you're feeling um, more resentful than grateful. Maybe, you know, you, you start out there at the church and you've got so many dreams and we're going to, we're going to change this city. We're going to save this city. We're going to preach hope and, and share the love of Jesus with our community. And we've got all these plans and we're going to build this team. And that sounds really great for the first two or three years. And somewhere around year four, year five, maybe it's, maybe, maybe you're really blessed and it's year 15 and you're just not looking forward to going. You're dragging yourself to the office. You're dragging yourself to staff meeting. Oh my gosh, I'd get away. Here they are calling. Here's sister so and so. Gosh, I wish she'd <laughs> stop calling me. You know, oh, um, yeah. if you get to that place, at the very least, it's time to talk to somebody. I hope that's a therapist, but at the very least, it's a trusted friend. So have a friend in ministry that's not going to judge you, that's not out aiming, angling for your job, but at least a trusted friend that you can say, man, I'm so burned out right now in this season. Uh, have you ever been there? How did you get yourself out of it? How did you pull yourself through? Do you have any tips for me? Uh, I think you can start there. Uh, but if you feel just stressed, you know, I, I think that for the person who doesn't know what anxiety feels like, if you just feel the most stressed you've ever felt in your whole life, it might be worth looking into. It might be worth talking to somebody about it. If you feel the most overwhelmed you've ever felt in your life, it's probably time to call in some help, call in the big dogs. Maybe you need a week off. Maybe it's time for that vacation. You haven't taken a vacation in three years, or you haven't been on a date with your spouse in six months. You know, 
get out of the office, get out of town, uh, take a break. So I think mm-hmm. that that really, that, I think that's the the first and the main thing is if you're noticing that you're burned out, if it's mm-hmm. just become a job to you, if it's just a paycheck, uh, it's it's probably time to talk to somebody about that. Absolutely. And especially when you're in the people, I don't want to say people industry, that seems so like clinical, (laughs) but when you're in the, yeah, I mean, when you're in the business or ministry of dealing with people and carrying their emotions and carrying their burdens and things like that, I feel like you are even more, especially in a place where you need that extra covering and that extra support to carry that load. And we all know that you know, we're not meant to carry those loads alone. So I do think that pastors are in a very unique position in this way because uh, you are carrying the load and shepherding and guiding so many people. And like you said, I've seen it. Oh my goodness, I've seen it. Actually, I've been that person where something was going on and the pastor made, you know, the pastor and his wife made a drive down to my home at like 11 o'clock at night and they were there yeah. um, and talked for a while, yeah. you know? Um, and so, and I saw them do it with others as well. And they were kind of the sole pastors, you know? And yeah. so it was like only they could do it. So they're reading these counseling books, you know, and they're reading all these books, you know, which was great. But at the same time, you know, being everything to everyone in that way was just, so much. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad that you've spoken on some of these very practical ways to take a break and notice the signs and get help. And I'm glad that we're talking about it because I do think it's such a unique position to be in, you know? So all of that being said, what would you say to the pastor who feels stuck under their burden but also feels the need to preserve their image in today's social media and church world, which is also an added dynamic that we never had before in decades leading up to this. Uh, What are some words of wisdom and advice and encouragement that you would give as a friend to another friend who has been there? Yeah, I think that that you have to start by asking for help. So maybe you... Don't trust your board. I mean, let's be real. There, there are pastors and church boards that don't have a good working relationship. And so maybe you feel like, oh, I, I can't tell anybody on the board about these thoughts I'm having or this depression I'm dealing with. Okay, I get it. But you got to tell somebody. You Again, you can't heal from what you won't accept. You can't heal from what you won't address. Maybe you're in a small town and there's that one therapist and you don't want anybody in town to see the pastor's car at the therapy office. Okay, I get that. That's a real fear too. Well, what if you have to take half a day once a month, once every couple of weeks, once a week, whatever you need to do, and drive an hour out of town to find somebody that you feel more safe sharing with? Do that. I think that you have to decide what's more important. Is your image more important or is your sanity more important? Is your image and your brand more important? Is your health more important? Um, is your, your brand and your image more important? Or is your family more important? When I think about my days in ministry, I was a youth pastor, 
a worship leader. I was hosting a radio show twice a week, a call-in show for teenagers. I was running a photography business. I was working in the school system full-time. Oh, and also, I was a husband and a dad. Definitely a three. Yeah, and they, definitely a three. And definitely they a three. always got my leftovers. And God, it's so unfair to your marriage. It's so unfair to your kids. But most of all, it's unfair to you. You can't keep up that pace, carrying all those loads for all those people, saving face, putting on, putting up those shiny pictures and that image that you're on top of the world when it feels like the world is on top of you. You can't do it forever. And God wouldn't want you to. So I think God would want you to go to therapy. I think God would want you to ask for help, to tell the truth, because we need you. We need healthy, whole pastors. We don't need unhealthy pastors. Now, that goes back to our conversation earlier. I'm not saying we need to throw you out, but we need you healthy. So do what it takes for you to be healthy, happy, whole. You'll be such a better pastor. You'll be such a more happy human being. So ask for help. Thanks so much for sharing that. And I'm not a pastor, but (laughs) just speaking, also adding on to that in the social media side, I think about, you know, what's most important is who I am at the core. Yeah. Right. Because everything's going to flow from that. And, you know, that's not saying that you know, everything needs to be shared with everybody, especially on social media. I do want to say that, like not everything is for everybody. Like we're not expecting you to like get on social media or get in front of the church and be like, guys, I'm breaking down. Air all (laughs) Um, the dirty laundry. Just air it all. Like, no, 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 like total respect for everyone's privacy and process, you know, but just having those people who you can trust who are going to be accountable, um, you know, to see that, you know, you're healthy and that there is absolutely no shame in doing what you need to do. And it's, if anything, respected. Thank you so much for this conversation that is just so needed, you know, especially, I, I mean, from the pastoral perspective, absolutely, but also just in light of events, we've had at least three known and, you know, highly published uh, pastoral yeah. suicides in the past year. Um, and all of them for all of them were here in California for me. So it was just hitting home. I mean, Pastor Jim Howard, that was right down the street from my house mm. in Valencia, and, you know, Jared and everything. And I think a lot of people just wonder, like, what happened there? Like, and there's this dichotomy of, you know, the same hope that they're preaching. They, at the at the lowest moments, couldn't seem to stand on. And so people have a hard time reckoning with those, um, with that dichotomy. You know what I mean? But hearing yeah. your story and how this happens, it makes sense. You know, it makes sense, the saving face. And all of that. And so I really appreciate you giving perspective to the other side and spending your time with us on the Faith and Mental Wellness podcast. Well, thank you, friend. It's been so fun, so helpful, and just always good to connect with you. What a gift. I know, right? So have a great rest of your day. 
uh, I appreciate you and the work that you're doing. Is there anything else that you would like to share? Um, I know you have your book and there are some other things that you're doing about how people can stay connected with you and the work yeah. that you're doing. Sure. Yeah. The easiest thing to do is just go to catchingyourbreath.com. If you go to catchingyourbreath.com and you click on start here at the top of the page, uh, there are three free resources. One is my first book, which we mentioned from pastor to a psych ward. You can sign up with your email and your name and you can download that book for free. Uh, the second is sort of a, a mental health getting started guide. So it's uh, seven coping strategies that I've learned through the years of recovery um, for living with anxiety and depression and lots of other resources that you'll get if you sign up for that. And then the third one is a 10 day love your life challenge. So it's five days of self-care and five days of self-worth. You can get all of that at catchingyourbreath.com. Plus you can find me on social media and all that other good stuff. Man, Steve, I'm just so encouraged by how you've turned everything that's happened into just this ministry and blessing others and coming from a place of having been there. So thank God thank for that. Yeah, right? Thank you so much. Thanks guys for tuning in to the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. Until next time. 